You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and, of course, at www.thefireplacechurch.org. And, folks, I have a brief announcement regarding the Fireplace Church going into 2017. We're actually going to be moving back to once a week with the Fireplace Church. And so instead of having both Friday and Sunday nights, we're going to be <clears throat> moving permanently to a Sunday night time, at least for now. And so um, this week will be the last week that we are running a Friday night service. And uh, I hope that those of you that enjoy fellowshipping with us on Friday nights continue with us on Sunday nights. I do want to let you guys know, I have spent time talking with God about 2017 and and you know the takeaway the takeaway is that this year is supposed to be really big um it's supposed to be a year where the powers of darkness suffer great loss and i uh i'm really excited about that we're excited about what we're doing at bride ministries to uh, partner with God in the execution of this agenda of heaven. Um, but I'll tell you what, in anticipation of 2017 and moving into 2017, man, have we been under attack. And, and so, you know, I just want to say thank you to those of you that continue to pray for Bride Ministries, that continue to hold us up. Also, thank you to those of you that continue to sow into us financially. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. Um, there's a lot that we want to do, right? We want to establish a DID coaching school. We want to help more survivors. We want to continue to run the Fireplace Church. We want to continue to run Discovery the Truth with Dan Duvall. We want to um, 
very soon establish a prayer ministry where people that write in, those of you that write in needing, you know, just, just some interventionary prayer can actually get that from volunteers that have been trained and released through Bride Ministries. Uh, we want to continue to run, you know, the discipleship groups and all of that. Well, the reality is all of that costs money. And um, I'll tell you what, if the devil can attack our finances, he's going to stop us from being able to do a lot of these things. And I'll, I'll tell you what, right now that has been the latest attack. And so <clears throat> I want to encourage those of you um, that have been supporting us to continue. Um, those of you that have considered supporting us financially, I want to invite you to link arms with us because we have a lot. There's a lot on our agenda. There's a lot that we want to do to equip, to release, to train, to establish, to build, to grow. And so if you want to sow into us financially, you could do that at bridemovement.com or thefireplacechurch.org. Very easy. There are donate buttons. We have a new P.O. box. That new P.O. box is P.O. box 6173, Texarkana, Texas, 75505. Now, Folks, I also want to uh, just throw out there, um, I got a report, a, a man that I greatly respect and appreciate, Russ Dizdar, has also been under attack. We're going to sow some prayer into him right now. Uh, Father God, we come before you in prayer and lift up Russ Dizdar, who has been under attack. Lord God, his health, his legs, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we agree that every curse, hex, spell, incantation, form of witchcraft, voodoo, dark art, other forms of weaponized demonic activity sent against him are being reversed upon the heads of the senders. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you that you are the wall of fire around about us. You are our shield. You are our buckler. Lord God, we break up the attack against him and rain down coals of fire, hailstones, and tsunamis of living water upon every spiritual force that has taken assignment against him. And Lord God, we thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed, that the Son of Righteousness shall rise in our hearts with healing in his wings, and that there is healing in the new covenant. Lord, you took our sicknesses and diseases upon you, and I thank you, Lord God, for breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, folks, with that said, all I'm going to say in addition to this is, look, we have discipleship courses coming up. We're going to push them back a week. So they'll actually be starting the last week of January. We're going to be sending out an invitation for those of you that are on our general email list to sign up um, early, early, early next week, Monday. And um, I have books available, Kingdom Government and the Promise of Sheep Nations, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, the Spirit Realm, uh, Noah's Ark in the End of Days. Is, they're available for you to take you deeper into some of the things that we talk about, talk around. Um, so I just want to encourage you to grab those if you haven't done that yet. And with that said, we're going to get to our guest. I'm really looking forward to having Keenan Bridges back on the program to talk about unmasking the accuser. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall.
Folks, you're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and I'm really excited about today for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which is that what we're going to be talking about today actually uh, ministered to me greatly. I am going to be having a conversation about unmasking the accuser with Keenan Bridges, and I'm really excited about this because, you know, I, I was sitting there earlier this year, and God was just like, yeah, reach out to Keenan again. And have him back on your program. And I'm like, yeah, I really love that brother. He's amazing. And so I reached out and lo and behold, he has this new book out called Unmasking the Accuser, which gets into addressing the problem of slander, gossip, and accusation. And, um, you know, Pastor Keenan Bridges, through his profound revelation of the Word of God and dynamic teaching ministry, has revolutionized the lives of many in the body of Christ through his practical approach to Applying the deep biblical truths of the Word of God, Pastor Keenan reveals the authority and identity of the New Covenant believer. He is a senior pastor of Grace and Peace Global Fellowship in Tampa, Florida, where he lives with his wife, Gloria, and their three kids. Actually, that's not true. We have four going on five, praise God. Um, God has placed on him a peculiar anointing for understanding and teaching the scriptures along with the gift of prophecy and healing. Um, and he operates really in an apostolic anointing. His website, www.keenanbridges.com. Uh, Dr. Keenan, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Oh, thanks for having me, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I know that uh, our listeners will greatly benefit from our conversation today. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that this is such a timely and relevant message, brother, I'm telling you. Um, now, I've been gossiped about, slandered about, falsely accused. I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened to me. They happen to every man and woman of God. Um, and and really, I'm pretty sure they've happened to you. And I want to get into oh, yeah. why. Why did you pick up this challenge, write this book on... Um, breaking the power of gossip, slander, offense, accusation. Why did you write this book? Well, two reasons, and I'll, I'll try to give you a brief definition. Several years ago, the Lord gave me a vision. And in the vision I had, I saw two Christians that were walking out of a church service. And while they were walking out, there was, I began to zoom in in this vision or a dream, I don't know what it was, but I, I began to zoom in on each of them, and I noticed these little imps, or like miniature demons, that were on their shoulders. And uh, these demons were whispering in their ears. They were whispering in their ears, and then it sort of shifted, and sometimes my dreams get very uh, graphic, very realistic, and this is the way God talks to me sometimes, the way he speaks to me. And I see the demons vomiting on, on each of the Christians with this sort of uh, ectoplasmic substance. And in, the, in, in, my, in my curiosity, I asked God, what was that? And God said, that's slander and gossip. Mm. And it was then that I began to realize that this is more than just an issue of loose lips sinking ships. This is an issue of a spiritual epidemic in the church. And I realize that there's so many people who are being victimized. Now, if I could try to frame it in about a 30-second sort of heading, I would put it like this. If you ask me why this message and why now, 
I would tell you this, and I would tell our audience this, I would tell them that there is an epidemic of offense in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It is on the proportions of an Ebola, a cholera, or any other plague, the bubonic plague. Mm. And what's happening is that viruses and diseases are what we call communicable. In other other words, they're transferred from one person to another, and there's always a medium, a medium in which viruses are spread. In other words, the virus can be blood-borne, it can be airborne, and what happens with the offense is that the means of of transferring the infection to other people is slander and gossip. That is the mechanism by which Satan uses to, to transfer the spirit of offense from one person to another. And we are living in a generation where this has been more of an issue in the church than anything I can think of. In fact, when we talk about immorality, and everybody preaches against immorality, we talk about, uh, we talk about sin, we talk about sexuality, we talk about all these issues, but one of the things that we forget to address is one of the most important aspects of our Christian life, which is our mouth and what we do with it, and also our heart and what we receive with it. And when people are offended, they run the risk of aborting their destinies and their purpose and never realizing or attaining to the plan and purpose of God, the ministry that God has for their lives. We've seen this too many times in the church. Yeah, we have. Keenan, let me let me um, ask you this. You know, walking into the Bible, uh, you actually begin your book in the garden, and yes. you actually suggest that gossip and slander played a role in the fall of man. Can you can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let me say this before I, I touch on that, and I'll definitely touch that. I want the listeners to understand that this book is not born out of some sort of philosophical pandering, hmm. you know, where we explore an idea and say, oh, this is a good thing to write about. This comes from personal experience. It comes from my journey walking through offense and bitterness. And yes, I was bitter. Yes, I was offended. And even to degrees, I was not even aware. And when God began to set me free of this and and let me understand who the culprit was behind this, he told me, he gave me an assignment. He told me to unmask the accuser. In other words, to rip the mask off of the one who was behind this clandestine plot against the church. This is a plot. This is a conspiracy against the body of Christ. And like in all conspiracies, the, the perpetrators are always hidden. They're operating behind the veil of humanity, the veil of religion, the veil of our pain, our hurt, our disappointment, and we oftentimes don't even realize who's responsible. So if we take this this conversation and we look at the Garden of Eden, Eden was the Garden of God, Genesis chapter 1. We see God's creation account. Some would even argue a recreation account. And what happens is that God is framing the garden environment. He gives man his assignment. He gives woman her assignment. He begins to set forth the boundaries and the systems and the 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 sort of um, the principles that govern the earth. And we see Eve, and we'll just fast forward a little bit. 
And in Genesis 3, Eve is minding her own business, and I'm paraphrasing, and the serpent comes and says, Yea, did God say you cannot eat of every tree in the garden? And the first thing that Eve does that brings her into a compromised position that would ultimately lead her down a spiral directly into the curse is she entertains the serpent. And we need to be aware of that. You know, the first sin in the Garden of Eden was not the eating of an apple. The first sin or the first transgression was that she had a conversation that was not authorized by God. God had given her an instruction. God had given her his word. She had no business conversing with the enemy. The second thing we have to understand is that the word serpent in the, in the Hebrew, the word serpent there, it comes from the word which means, in our, in our English language, divination. In other words, this was not an innocent conversation. It was divination, which means that the person listening to the conversation is coming under a spell. Why would Eve risk everything? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Why would she risk everything for, for a piece of fruit? And it wasn't the fruit. It was the conversation which framed the way she saw the fruit. And this is where the slander began. Satan called into question the character of God. And that's how we have to understand slander. Slander is not just a casual statement about someone. Slander is a malicious statement designed to malign the character of another person, to call into question their reputation, their credibility. And Satan was attempting to discredit God in his conversation to get her to question his character. And that is what slander is all about. So yes, the first transgression, the first iniquity in the Garden of Eden was slander. Now, let me say this one thing, and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop this part here. Usually, the person who has, perpetuate, who, who has perpetuated slander is someone who is harboring an offense. Oh, man, you got to hear this. The person who spreads the slander is one who is harboring an offense. Wow. Why did, Satan, why did Satan slander God? Because he was offended at the Most High. We forget he had just been dispossessed from his he heavenly habitation. Jude tells us that the angels lost their first estate. In other, way, in other words, that position that form, that esteem that he held in heaven, he didn't have it anymore. He was kicked out because of his sin. And because he was disgruntled, he was angry, bitter, offended at the Most High, he engaged in slander against him. And the person who releases the slander, now watch this, let me go back. The person who hears the slander and receives it, is just as guilty as the person who releases it. My gosh. So, now, now, check this out. What happened? She received from an offended person, 
And whether she recognized it or not, she received an offense. And the recompense of his offense was manifested in her so that she got kicked out of the garden, just like he got kicked out of heaven. And that's what happens when you harbor a slanderer. You're going you're gonna to get kicked out just like they got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're ministering to me right now, Keenan. Um, you know, folks, I'm, I'm not going to squat on the blessing here. There are many of you that are listening to this program, and you've been slandered. You've been falsely accused. You've been gossiped about. Um, just take it in. And, uh, you know, okay, Keenan, that that was so deep. I, I'm so glad you shared that. And uh, I, I want to now take a, another step further. Because I want you to tell me how slander affects the heart. Oh, man. Wow. Um, You know, the heart is such a very powerful thing. You know, I've been really doing a lot of research on the heart. And when the Bible talks about our heart, there there are two kind of aspects of it. You know, the, the Hebrew idiom for the heart is kind of the seat of our affections. When the Bible talks about the heart of man is desperately wicked. It talks about uh, love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. You know, the Jewish people, when they express this in Hebrew, is talking about an affection. It's talking about a deep longing or an affection, the seat of affections. So when we talk about the heart, we're talking about an, uh, our affection. Now, in the New Testament, when you deal with the heart, the Greek word there is cardia, is where we get the Latin cardio and uh, cardiovascular system, those English words that are derived from the Greek and the Latin, meaning that the heart is not just a seat of emotions and affections, but it's a repository. Actually, another word for the heart uh, in, in the Greek is thesaurus, and it's talking about a thesaurus as a repository of information, a place where we store events, circumstances, and experiences. I want the audience to see it this way. So imagine that your heart is like a movie projector, right? What happens is that that projector, when you go to a movie theater, it has a a video reel in it. And that reel is inserted into the projector, and the projector will broadcast what's on the reel into the, the movie screen. And so that's what happens with our heart. When we receive information via the heart, through the ear gates, through the eye gates, those things are burned, just like they were, you know, when we first developed photographic technology. The first thing you needed to create a photo, you needed heat. It actually, it was light. There was basically a flash of light and heat that superimposed an image onto paper. That's how the, the, the photograph was. That's why the old photograph, it actually had fire that came out of them, you know, when they would take a, a, a photo back in the, the 40s and the 50s. So what happens is that, uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, but what happens is that our heart is like that. When we go through experiences or we hear something, something is burned into the heart, an image burned into the real. And what happens is that when that image is burned into that reel of our heart, it is now projected into the consciousness, the mind. 
that's why when you hear something, it changes the way you see things. Jesus said, take heed to what you hear, because with what measure you meet, it will be measured unto you again. In other words, what you hear is a seed, and that seed will produce a harvest affecting your vantage point, your perspective, your perception. And that's what happened with Eve. That's why the Bible says in Genesis 3 that when Eve heard the serpent say these things, what does the next verse say? She saw the fruit that it was good to the eye and desirous to make one wise. Now, that fruit was there before the conversation started. But because she listened to a conversation that affected her heart, it changed what she saw. It changed the way she saw things. And that's why we have to be very aware and conscious of what we allow into our heart. Because our heart, now the Bible says, watch this, out of it are the issues of life. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs. Which means that your heart now becomes the gravitational force that attracts the very thing that has been deposited within it. And this is why even in the natural, when we talk about our heart, did you know that your heart has an electromagnetic pulse? This is why when a person goes into cardiac arrest, you can use what's called a defibrillator. And this defibrillator is able to resuscitate them. How does it do it? Through an electronic signal or an electronic pulse that goes into the heart to rejuvenate it again. It's because our heart actually has an electronic signature, a, magnet, a, a, a electromagnetic signature that actually pulsates. And what the enemy is constantly trying to do is he is trying to disrupt the signature of your heart because he knows once he can distort that signal, he can distort your life. That's why we have to be extremely careful. <laughs> you know, when someone tells you something, and I, I can give you an example, you know, I remember being a young believer sitting in, across from another person in our church who was disgruntled toward our pastor. And he began to say things, and all of a sudden I knew, I said, you know, something is wrong with this. This is not, this is not just an innocent sort of thing. This is something, something's up with this. Now, I wasn't as aware as I am now, but I knew something was off. And as I kept sitting through this, I, got, I, I became grieved. And all of a sudden, the accusations became bolder, more glaring, more blatant. And I realized, I said, you know, I can't be a part of this. Now watch this. Even though I withdrew myself from the situation, I never saw my pastor the same way again. I never saw him the same way. And I had to work through what had been impressed on my heart. That's why the Bible says, guard the heart with all diligence. You literally need to put up a protection system so that your heart does not become defiled. Slander and gossip defiles us. It defiles our heart. It defiles the way we see people. It defiles our relationships. It contaminates our dealings. And this is why people need to understand the connection between what you say and what's in your heart. But not only what you say, but also what you hear and what goes into your heart. So that's the connection. Mm. It's really good. 
Okay. Let's talk about this. You said in your book okay. that Christians can work for the devil. Now, Uh-oh. oh my gosh. Now, I know this is true. This is real. Now, what's the angle that you're mm-hmm. coming at this from? How do Christians work for the devil? The Bible says this. In the book of First John, it says, he that hates his brother is a murderer. Is that what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says. He that hated his brother is a murderer. Now, the Bible also says what we refer to as the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, or more accurately, thou shalt not commit murder. Now, watch this. The word murderer there in the Greek actually is the word assassin. Assassin. Now, this is interesting. Even though this is a Greek word that, that means manslayer or assassin, the word assassin is actually an Arabic word. The word assassin comes from the Arabic assassin, and it means one. This is what it means. This is what an assassin was. An assassin was someone who was basically dispossessed, somebody that was homeless, they a vagabond, they lived on the street. And they were taken in and trained as a killer. And these people were used during the the Middle Ages, especially the the 5th century, 6th century. They were used during many of the wars, many of the um, conflicts. They were used to assassinate key people in kingdoms. Now, I'm saying all this to say this. When we speak against someone else in a way that vilifies them we have become assassins now watch this an assassin implies that you are working for someone else now god told us in first john he that hates his brother is a murderer it says how can we say we love god and hate our brother that's made in the image of god so we know if we are hating and speaking evil of our brethren that we are not working for God because that goes against his agenda. So if we're not working for God, then we're working for someone else. So the question is, who are you working for? Now, I remember growing up, I loved watching these, uh, these uh, espionage movies, you know, like James Bond and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that I, I love in modern spy movies especially is that there's this concept of what we call sleeper cells. A sleeper cell is someone who has been trained as an assassin and implanted into a general populace. So they, you know, the Russian government, I know this is controversial, they, they basically send someone off to school mm-hmm. and they go to school, they go to medical school, they become a doctor, they do all these things, they get married, they have children, but they have been trained by the Russian government as an assassin. And what happens is that they, they go about their normal life until they are activated. Mm-hmm. When the person becomes activated, that person becomes a weapon. And this is what happens. How can we work for the devil? We work for the devil when we allow the enemy to exploit our pain in order to kill someone else. That's For example, the... a person is in a, 
It is very deep. When mm. the person is in the, you know, let's say, for example, a person, you know, they were hurt by the church. They were in the middle of a church split. And so they're, they're hurt, they're rejected, they're angry, they're bitter. You know, they were wounded by a leader. And what happens is that that seed of rejection and offense is inside of them. Now, they go on. They think because they left the situation if a year ago or two years ago that they've gotten over it. But because they've never released the offense, the enemy comes in and activates it. And when he activates that seed, that person becomes an instrument of assassination. And we're not talking about physically killing people, but how many know you can kill someone's character? You can assassinate someone's reputation. You can say something in such a way that brings into question their credibility and, and, and ultimately affect the way other people see them. That's called character assassination. And in that, many believers are working for Satan and don't realize it. But let me say something prophetically. Mm-hmm. I fire you from that contract. I release you from that satanic contract that you are unknowingly bound to because of your hurt and your pain. And I plead the blood of Jesus over you right now, over your aware and your unaware mind, and you will no longer work to advance Satan's purposes, but you will work to advance the kingdom of God. Mm. I agree with that. Lord, break Amen. it. Amen. In, in Jesus' name. Um, the reality is, uh, you know, you, you bring up a great example of, you know, the, the Russians and some of the stuff that they do. Uh, the reality is, and one of the things that we've learned is that there are many people in churches right now that have been, um, subjected to all kinds of trauma, all kinds of ritual yeah. abuse. Um, and they do have sleepers. And I believe that you are actually speaking to a lot of people that listen to this program who have sleepers under contract to tear apart ministries. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree 100% with what you've just said. There are a lot, and a lot of pastors have no idea what they're dealing with, Keenan, because um, they have people stepping into their churches that look very normal by every standard but have um, dissociated parts that are are literally programmed, trained to be activated and tear apart ministries. And um, yes. this is a real challenge that the church is facing right now. And I know at Bride Ministries, since we make survivors such a centerpiece of our ministry, um, we're just, uh, you know, running that reality, living that reality every day. It's... Um, very, very front and center from our perspective. So um, really, really good. Now, I want to move forward. And, and here's, here's the thing that I, I want to know. Okay, so you've been through a lot of gossip, slander. It's come against you. You've watched other believers mm-hmm. do it to others. Um, you, you've you've mm-hmm. seen it. You've assessed it. Here's the question that people are going to be asking. When we are actively being slandered, gossiped about, or wrongly accused, 
How do we draw the line between vindicating ourselves and letting the Lord be our defense? Oh, very good question. And let me say this because I want to be very transparent. Not only have I been the victim of it, I've participated in it. Uh, and I didn't even realize I was participating in it. And I never forget, and I talk about this story in the book. One day I'm at church, and, and the church is just kind of, you know, they're talking about a particular leader in the community. And, and one of the things that happens, and one of the lies of the enemy, people think that because they don't know someone, or because they're not in proximity to a person, that their words about them don't matter. You know, they're a celebrity. They're there in a, they, don't, they don't care what I say about them, and they'll never meet me, I'll never meet them, so whatever I say about them is completely acceptable, wrong, not true. <laughs> you know, our words <laughs> are like birds. They fly, <laughs> you know, and they, they go much further than you think they can go. And, um, but one of the things I will say is that I've been through that. Uh, I've been through it not only in the church, but I've been through it outside of the church. And one of the most difficult things that we can do is we can, is, is how do you respond when somebody is saying something against you and everything inside of you wants to fight back, defend yourself, prove that they're wrong? Well, the Bible tells us what to do. The Bible says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And I say that to say this. David said, my enemies, it says they can't round about me. They wanted to seek my life. Many are they uh, who rise up against me. But he says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. And what we have to be careful of is this. The minute you begin to speak on your own behalf is the minute you come out from under his shield of protection. Wow. And I can use several examples. I, I can even use recently. You know, I, I was on Facebook and I, I post a lot. I'm a very visible figure on social media. I have uh, thousands and of people who follow me and millions who view my posts every single week. And what happens... <clears throat> People think that because you're visible that that gives them a right to attack you. And the only reason they're attacking you is because you're visible. There's no other reason. You know, and I posted something and someone began to say all these things and, and challenge me and question me. Now, I can defeat them in an argument. But guess what? If I do that, then I'm telling God I'm my own defender. And so one of the biggest things we can do is use the old adage that silence is golden. If you really want to silence a slanderous accusation, don't say anything. Now, I know this is what people are going to say. Well, but I have to say something. No, you don't. If you ask me, did you really do that? Here's my answer. No. I just stated a fact, but I did not defend myself. A defense belongs to the defender. Oh, I feel my help coming on now. The defense <laughs> belongs to the defender. If I defend myself, I'm saying I am my defender. But because I'm not my own defender, the defense does not belong to me. It's not my place. I have an attorney who does that. His name is Jesus. He's my advocate. He's my propitiation. He's my, my comforter, my helper. 
the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ manifested in and through me. He is the one who makes intercession, which actually intercession is a legal term. It means one who speaks on another's behalf. So if I've already had a lawyer who's been paid up in full, I have him on eternal retainer, then all I need to do is consult with him and allow him to speak for me. Even Abel, who was killed by Cain, didn't speak on his own, but his blood cried out on his behalf. And so what we need to understand is that when, when we are being victimized, and I know it can be difficult, I know it can be painful, I've walked through that. I've had people who walked with me in ministry who did some of the most grievous things against me, who told lies, who told complete fabrications that were designed to hurt me. And God, and God said to me one day as I was going through this situation, God said, number one, he said, Kenan, release them. I said, what do you mean release them? He says, son, I'm in control. I want you to release them. And then he said something else because I was still wrestling with releasing them. And then he told me something that was even more grievous to me. He said, now bless them. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, bless them. He says, no, no, bless them that persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless your enemies. Love those who hate you. And so I began to, and it was difficult, but I began to bless the person. I began to bless them. I began to bless them. I began to bless them. Now watch this. As I began to bless them, I repostured my heart because now my heart can begin the process of healing. And number two, I am in a position to be defended. If you get in a courtroom and you say, you know what, Your Honor, I've chosen to represent myself, you better believe, unless you have gone to law school and you have your doctorate of jurisprudence, you are going to be incriminated by your own statement. And because I don't want to be incriminated in the courtroom, I'm going to leave the defense to my defense attorney, and his name is Jesus. That's powerful. Okay. You have a... Uh, and, and by the way, folks, I, I actually, you know, Keenan sent me an advanced copy of his book. I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I, I read it. I read the whole thing, uh, frankly, and um, it just touched on so many powerful points. And one of the points that you bring up later on is the idea that everything about the accuser is to expose, indict, and condemn, while everything about the Holy Spirit mm. is to convict, correct, and heal. Yes. Now... I know this is true because I, I work with some of the most broken people on the planet every day. And I get told horrible things that they did, that people did to them. We have to navigate through that. And I know that the Holy Spirit is not there shaming them, condemning them, and indicting them on their healing journey. In fact, he's restoring. Right. He's healing. He's convicting. Um... Can you talk further about this? Yeah. Now, now, here's one of the things that I've seen a proliferation in, especially since social media. Hmm. I think there was a big confusion, a huge confusion, about authority and boundaries. Authority 
and boundaries, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Number one, there's a misconception about who has a right to say what. All right, listen to what I'm saying. People believe that because they have the ability to say something means they have the right to say it, and that's not scriptural. That is not scriptural. This is why the Bible says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. In other words, what Paul the Apostle, under divine inspiration, is telling Timothy and telling the church is that there are boundaries to rebuke. I'm sorry, that, that there's levels of authority concerning rebuke. In other words, everyone does not have the right to rebuke everyone else. It's not true. I mean, can you imagine going into your house and saying you're going to rebuke your parents? Only in America. Let me just tell you, does that even <laughs> come into the mind of any human being? Only in America. When you go to any other part of the world, the, the, the honor system, the understanding of parental authority is totally different. But we have this, watch this, instantaneous Instagram, Insta-faith, Insta-spirituality culture. You know, iPhone, iPad, iMac, I believe, I disobey. You know, it's, it's, everything is I. <laughs> so basically what happens is people feel like I have the right to say what I want to say. Not if you're a born-again believer. No, you don't. So just because you see something that is grievous to you or something that you find reprehensible or wrong doesn't mean you have a right to say it. You know, you can't. There is There is an authority structure given in the Bible to rebuke. And I'm coming to where you're really going, and I, but I just wanted to frame this a little bit. So that's the first thing. The other thing is what we call boundaries or context. Now, when, when I was growing up, now my father was not an avid believer or anything like that, but, but he taught us, and my mother taught us, who was a believer, about boundaries. Now, this is what happened. Let's say my siblings and I would fight in the house. My parents would say, you know what, you, you deal with that in here. But when you go outside, don't take that outside. Don't take that outside. We're not going to fight in public. The church is the only organization that, that fights its battles publicly. We are the only religious community that fights in the press, that fights in the courtroom of public opinion. We are the only ones to do that. The Muslims don't do it. The Jews don't do it. Christians are the only ones who go out to the world. And this is why Paul rebukes them in 1 Corinthians. He says, why do you take these matters before the unjust? Can't you judge in the church? Can't the least esteem in the church judge these matters? Why are you going before the courts? I mean, they were suing each other in civil lawsuits. And Paul said, this is ridiculous. Don't you know you will judge angels? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? How come you can't judge the least matters in the church? And so I say all that to say this. When we talk about everything about the Holy Spirit is to love, to cover, to, to, to protect, God deals with us, but he doesn't expose us. Now, this is what people will say. This is what people will say. People will say, well, you know, well, you just got to call out sin just like you see it in and, you know, I'm all about calling out sin, and, and, and I'm all about calling out. It's time for us to preach against sin and call out iniquities. Mm -hmm. Well, 
first of all, you are completely misquoting the scripture because my Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians 11, let a man examine himself. How can you call it everyone else's sin if you've never been on the self-examination table for you? That doesn't even make any sense. It's like a woman that's never had a breast exam condemning people with breast cancer. You might have it and not even know it. You've never been examined. How do you know what you have? How do you know what is dysfunctional about you if you've never examined yourself? And so this is one of the grievous offenses to the Holy Spirit. You see, as pastors, we understand this. When people come into the congregation, they're going to be broken, many of them. And they have to have a safe environment with which to be able to address their sin, their addictions, their brokenness, while having the grace necessary to heal properly. Yes. If I, if somebody counseled me, uh, uh, counseled with me, and I say, you know, I counsel the person, and I go out to the the, the uh, congregation the next one and say, hey, you know, I just counseled Sister Benita, and can you believe, guys, she was actually raped? Oh man, that's just horrible. And and you know that you know she's divorced. She used to be married to a pastor. Can you believe that, guys? First of all, I have offended the Holy Spirit. Second of all, that woman can never trust me again. And this is what is happening. People under the guise of being truthful have sacrificed love. Anytime we speak truth without love, we are abusing. And anytime we speak love without truth, we are misusing. Let me say that one more time. Anytime we speak truth without love, we are abusing. And anytime we speak love without truth, we are misusing. And this is what is happening in the church. People think that because they see something wrong, that it's always the right to say it. And I put a post on Facebook one time. I said, God is in the business of exposing sin, starting with yours. (laughs) 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 Amen. And we're going to be these Champions, you know that that you know there there are a lot of mavericks in the church. They feel like it is their mission and their mandate and their mantle of God to expose the evil of others. In fact, I was on Facebook and I saw this guy. He said, "You know, my job, God has called me and raised me up to to expose every false teacher in the body of Christ." Ah, yes. And I'm listening to him, and what he is saying is false teaching. <laughs> Which means that the first person God needs to expose is you. <laughs> it's just, it's just it's, no, it's it's, it's so. It. I mean, you're nailing it, man. Um, you, you're nailing it. It's it's <laughs> it's amazing. You know, and, and here's the reality. The reality is, no one has it all right. I mean, I don't have yes. it all right. You know, I, I I think I have some really good ideas, and I've had some great fellowship with God, and that's led me to revelation that I think is very fruitful. But no one has it all right. So let's just grow in relationship and take a journey towards God's belief system, which is never ours. (laughs) Right, right, right. Absolutely. And let me say this. I want to quote scripture so that that our audience has has a biblical framework. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he was converted the sinner from the error of his way, 
shall save a soul from death. Now watch this. This really bothered me when I read it. And shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, the word hide there means exactly what it says. It's in, the, in the Greek, it means to conceal. To conceal. Now, this is the fine balance we need to understand. What God is saying here is that our objective, even in rebuking or correcting, should be the ultimate healing and restoration of the people we're correcting. If we are more interested in someone being exposed than, they, than them being restored, then we're not operating in the right spirit. Now, I do believe this. I believe that God is so gracious. And I believe that many times, if, if, if there is a lack of repentance and a, and a continual lack of repentance, a lack of acknowledgement, that ultimately, in his mercy, he may allow things to be exposed so that ultimately the person can come to repentance and be restored. We see this example in 1 Corinthians, where Paul is addressing the man. Now, this is ironic now. Paul is addressing a man who's having sexual relationship with his father's wife. And yet, number one, not one time is his name mentioned in the Bible. Now, Paul has mentioned names before. He never mentioned the man's name. That's number one. We've got to take note of that. Number two, Paul never questioned whether or not this person was saved. And number three, Paul sets out a clear course of action to bring that person to a place of repentance. They said, he said, withdraw fellowship from him so that his soul may be saved. So we see then that the plan of God is the salvation of the sinner. And it says the same thing here in James. If you see someone erring from the truth, he says, convert him. Tell him he's wrong. Hey, brother or sister, what you did was wrong. What you did was violating the laws of God. What you did was, was an offense against the word of God. And watch this. When you do that, you are giving the person an opportunity to turn from the error of their way. And he says, know that if you've, con if you've successfully done that, you have saved a soul from death, and you have hidden their sins, which are many. God is not in the business, even with us. How many things that we do daily that God covers on a daily basis? He, never, he doesn't call Channel 2 Action News on you when you were said something wrong to your wife or you were too overly overbearing on your children. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. That's not, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Is that not what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says. I mean, says, am I right? reading the right Bible? Love covers a multitude of sins. Why? When the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus covered her. He, he didn't know. No, this, this is what I can feel it in the spirit. The Pharisee spirit rising up and saying, well, we just can't excuse sin. Nobody is saying excuse sin. No, 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 to the contrary. But are you more concerned with a person turning from their sin or being gratified by your own self-righteousness? Are we more concerned with people actually being saved? You know, something happened in my church years ago. And the person committed a serious sin. Now, I went to them privately. I rebuked them. I dealt with them. I challenged them. I administered biblical correction, mm -hmm. as the Bible tells me to. But not one time did I come out 
and tell the, 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 the community about it. Now, if you have a situation where there are multiple people involved in a church or there's something that you can't, uh, uh, that, that can't be um, concealed, you have to address it. You know, if the choir member got pregnant, you know, you got to say something about it because, you know, pretty soon everybody, everybody's going to see it anyway. But what I'm saying is that if there are situations that can be dealt with individually where you can go to the person and say, hey, listen, you did something wrong and you need to repent. And if they repent, if they repent, if they come to true repentance and refrain from the error of their way and they turn back to God in true contrition, in repentance, in humility, then that person is in a position to be restored. And because of that, and that's one of the things I love about our church, we've had people leave and slander us and lie on us, and we never told anybody. And guess what? They come back. And when they come back, we were able to restore them to fellowship and love on them, and no one even knew why they left in the first place. Because it's none of their business. That's really <laughs> it's awesome. It's none of their business. That's really awesome. You know, we, we, we really, we have to understand, this is what the Bible teaches us, but the average believer does not know what the Bible says regarding this. And then we use excuses, and we use a misappropriation and a poor hermeneutic of Scripture to be able to condone our sinful behavior. It is a sin. It is a sin to gossip about someone. It is a sin to slander somebody, especially when you don't even know all the facts. It is absolutely an abomination. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven is an abomination. And the abomination there is not homosexuality, is not bestiality, is not pedophilia. The abomination is he that sows discord among brethren. That's right. God hates it. Mm. He hates it. It is abominable in his eyes. He despises it with all of his heart. It is a stench in his nostrils. And God does not wink at such an iniquity. And we need to understand the severity of this situation because Satan has been using our own mouth as an orifice of darkness to rip the church apart. Is there any, is there any wonder why we haven't seen revival or we haven't seen awakening in the American church or we haven't seen the move of God that's been prophesied from ages past that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh and our young daughters and our sons would prophesy our old men would see dreams. Our young men would see visions. Has it not been an attack of the enemy to keep us from realizing the destiny of God for the church? The church should be the most powerful organization, the most powerful organism on the earth, but yet we've found ourselves collectively impotent because we've not recognized the power of our words to build up or to tear down. And this is the time and the hour prophetically where God is calling us to make a change, to say, listen, we will not live in offense. We will not live in bitterness. We will not live in rejection. We will not kill and tear down our brothers and sisters in Christ. If one falls, we'll cover them until they can get up again. And if they can't get up again, we will pray them through. And if God ultimately exposes them, we won't rejoice in their, ex in their exposure. But what we'll do is pray for them and cover them and intercede for them so that by any means, the grace of God will avail toward that person. I'm sorry, I got a little preachy. No, nah, man, I if, I, if, if I wasn't uh, sitting down, I would be standing up and cheering. 
<laughs> this is really good. Uh, you know, folks, um, let me just uh, plug this in here. Uh, the book is called Unmasking the Accuser. Check out Keenan at www.keenanbridges.com. Um, and, and this is actually, it's not even released yet. You can get a pre-order in, but it's, I believe, coming out next month. So, now coming back. All right. Yeah, you have this concept in your book, Keenan. I love it. Spiritual cannibalism. What is? Uh-oh. Oh my gosh! Spiritual <laughs> cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, um, spiritual cannibalism is defined. You know, if you look at um, natural cannibalism, you know, there's there's a tribe in Papua New Guinea of people who actually are cannibals and they devour one another. I mean, not you know. Hopefully they don't eat people alive, but maybe they do. I'm not sure. But what happens is that it is unnatural to devour your own. Now, this is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5. It says, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And what has happened in the body of Christ is that we have been devouring one another. I call this spiritual cannibalism. In other words, it is when you are eating those who are hurt or wounded. That's what cannibals do. That's what uh, cannibals in the animal kingdom do. When one of them is weak or wounded, they will eat that one. They will devour that one. And the Bible says if we bite and devour one another, we will be consumed one of another. And so when we are using our words, you know, and I hate to say this, but there has been this move to where we have used the merchandising of our day to support spiritual cannibalism. You know, have you ever wondered why people are more prone to engage or to listen to something that's negative than to something that's positive? For example, if I told you right now, and I said, you know what, um, uh, Pastor overcame challenges and his church was greater than ever and that was on the front page of a Christian magazine nobody would read it but if I say no worthy pastor was found in scandal that would be on the front page of every paper and be the most regarded of, of anything and I say that to say this what we must understand is that God never told us to devour each other he told us to love each other to life. In other words, when we are in relationship with each other, we should be giving life to one another, not devouring each other. And so this is what I mean when I talk about spiritual cannibalism. Wow. Now, I need to um, have you talk about the other side of the equation because I just don't want people to get the wrong idea and think you have no balance mm-hmm. because you do and it's clear and you get into it in your book now when we're talking about um covering and uh redeeming and what all that stuff now is that necessarily the same conversation as known abuse say oh yeah that person is holding a bunch of children in their basement and raping them every day so we should cover that or is that a different conversation no that's a totally different conversation. 
And I, and like you said, I'm glad you brought that up. I do address that in the book that there is a remember earlier in the conversation we talked about boundaries. We talked about the boundaries of rebuke and the and the authority of correction and so forth. When somebody is under abuse, albeit spiritual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, or institutional abuse, where they're being, you know, abused by an institution or within an organization. We, we clearly set out guidelines. I tell people all the time, in those instances, you need to make it known. You need to tell someone. Now, watch this. This is the key. This is the balance. You have to tell someone with the authority to change the situation. Wow. It's not, it's not enough. For example, if you, if you just, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship and you just talk to your other, your other girlfriend who's also being abused, hey, girl. That that's not doing anything for you. What you need to do is remove yourself from the equation and notify someone in authority, someone with the power to change the situation. Or if you're in a church where you're being, it, it is it is it is evident that you're being abused in a church. You are under abuse. You are under control. You are you, your spiritual life is being damaged. You need to remove yourself from the situation. And you need to talk to someone in authority, someone with the ability to help you change the situation that you're in. So maybe talk to another leader, another pastor, someone outside of the church. Call a Christian counselor, an organization. Or or like our, our brother here, Brother Daniel, contact uh, Fireplace Ministries. And what you... Uh, is it Bride Ministries? I'm sorry. I know it's... Yeah, yeah. We've got, we, we have a couple things going on. So we got Bride Ministries and the Fireplace okay. Church. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that those who are in a position who have been empowered to help transform, it is, it, is, it is imperative that you reach out to those people. If it's a counselor or if it's even a, a local authority, you need to call the police. You need to call, you know, a sheriff department. So we're in no way saying that uh, you should condone abuse in any way. It's never acceptable. It should always be addressed. I guess what we're trying to say in this book, which we make pretty clear, I, I believe we make it pretty clear, this idea that uh, it is not our job to leisurely and through our own prerogative try to go around exposing everyone else's sin. That's what we're talking about. You know, especially when when you're hiding your own. You know, that's that's not acceptable either. So we want to, there is a balance, I believe. People should understand, you know, the church is a place of healing. It's a place where God wants to restore people. A place where he wants to bring reconciliation into their lives. And so that's what we want to do. Amen. Now, you had mentioned earlier the spirit of offense. We haven't gotten into it. Why? Say it again. The spirit of offense. Why is it yes. so destructive? Okay. Well, first of all, um, Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 16, and he says, listen, mark those which cause offense among you and avoid them. Can I break this down a little bit? Please, first of all, yeah. the word mark there is a Greek word, skopeo. It means to scope, to see, to discern. And he says, those who cause offenses among you. Now watch this. This is the, the, the Greek word, skandalon. 
scandalon is what we get the English word scandal, but it actually, the meaning of the word scandalon is, is, a, is a term used to refer to those who hunt fowls. And a fowler or one who hunts fowls or birds would have what they call a bait stick or a trap stick. And this trap was designed to bring this bird into a, a suffocating trap that would cause them uh, to not be able to fly away. And so this is what the Bible says, that essentially offense is the bait of Satan. It's, a, it's bait. It's, it's something designed to draw you in, and it brings you into bondage. Nothing. L let me tell you something. you got to hear this. Nothing will nullify an assignment or a ministry or a purpose more than offense. I have seen people bounce back from scandal, but people will never bounce back with offense in their heart. My gosh. I got to say this again. This is so important. Offense is one of the greatest ways, the, and the easiest way to nullify the assignment of God for your life. And this is why the Bible refers to it as the bait of Satan. It's a trap says, do not get caught in the trap. It will suffocate you. It will cause bitterness to control your life. It will cause you to be physically incapacitated. It will keep you from enjoying the ministry, the relationships, the people, the church that God has for you. And this is one of the reasons why we have so many people all over the world. I was talking to a lady in the Middle East one time, and, and I asked her, I said, you know, what, what church are you a part of? She said, I haven't found a church yet. And I, I, just, I just can't find myself in a church. I don't, I don't really, you know, there's no church that really speaks to me or ministers to me. And I said, well, how long have you been looking? She said, about 15 years now. And I thought, something is wrong. Hmm. Something is wrong. For 15 years, you've not been able to find a place where you can be ministered to, and I'm not just saying it's wrong on her part, it's also wrong on the part of the church. But we, we have to understand that this spirit of offense is deadly. It is destructive. I have been victimized by it. And one of the things I want to tell people is the vision the Lord gave me. And one of the reasons I wrote this book, one of the reasons why I want to spread this message, I was in my room one night, and uh, as I closed my eyes, I had this vision or this experience. I can't really explain it. And I was moving at the speed of light, and I found myself at a screeching halt. And I looked up, and I'm at the scene of the crucifixion. I can smell the air. I can see the dust in the atmosphere. I can see the sandals on the, on the centurions and the soldiers and the legionnaires. I can see the women wailing and weeping, the people off in the distance. I can see the road above us. And I look up, and I see the Lord Jesus on the cross. And I see the agony, the pain, the suffering, the hurt. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice. I took upon myself. I took upon the offenses of humanity so that you no longer have to live in offense. And I'm back in myself. And I never could shake this because there are millions of people listening to us that don't recognize, don't understand that you are carrying something that God never meant to carry, hmm. never meant for you to carry. Hmm. 
Mm. Can you can do you understand that that Jesus didn't die because of a crucifixion? He died because the weight of the offenses of the world, the weight of sin, was upon his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And yet you have people who are getting back under that weight through offense. They are bringing themselves back into bondage through offense. I don't care what anyone has done to you. I don't care how, how hurtful it was or how debilitating or deplorable their actions no matter what people have done to you, you are only hurting yourself if you allow the spirit of offense to operate in your life. You're the one that will suffer. You're the one that will miss the blessing. You're the one that will be racked in pain in your body. You are the one that will have mental anguish and agony. You are the one that will miss out on what God has for you. And for that reason alone, you should make the conscious decision today. You know what? I refuse to allow offense to control my life anymore. I refuse to be a vagabond, just floating around aimlessly, never connecting to anybody, never connecting to community, never finding my purpose, never developing substantial and significant relationships. But I'm just floating around, sitting at home, watching popcorn, and whatever the next Christian minister that comes on TV, I'm just going to sit here and watch him and then pick him apart if he says something wrong and turn the channel. I don't believe God has called us to do that. I believe he wants us to be in real community. And it can be different types of community. I'm not just saying one type of church. There are different types of fellowships. There are different types of churches. But what I am saying is that the spirit of offense is absolutely destructive. And we must fight against it with every fiber of our being. Brother, I really need to have you talk now about the offense broker. Because not only do you have people walking in offense, and I think we've all been there. We've all had to wrestle through offense, and, and that, that can be a journey. I've taken that journey. Yeah. But there are offense brokers. Okay. What is that? Yeah, you know, um, I use the term offense brokers to refer to people who, you know, when you think about a broker, a broker is someone who facilitates a transaction. So I want I want us to think about offense as a transaction. It's a spiritual transaction. You know, first it starts with the situation, and the situation is then interpreted in our heart and becomes a vain imagination. Then that vain imagination of left intact becomes a stronghold, and that stronghold brings people into bondage. So if you think about how fast this can happen, you know, like one time I'm in church, and uh, this thought just comes into my head, your pastor doesn't like you. You know what I did? What you did? I said, well, why doesn't he like me? Hmm. <laughs> I said, why doesn't he like me? And I start going back and forth, well, you know what? Who is he? I mean, he he doesn't have the right to judge me, and that's so that's so wrong of him. And here I am, fighting with not even fighting. I am justifying a thought that I have not even substantiated yet to be real. And this is so key because millions of people do this all the time. They get a thought in their head, and they automatically assume that the thought came from them, and they accept it into their mind. Instead of saying, you know what, 
Where did that even come from? Before I start dialoguing with the thought, where did it come from? And so when I think of offense as a transaction, every transaction has a broker. Their broker is a transaction. And offense brokers are people in our lives who facilitate further offense. So, for example, you have a situation in your church, and you go tell someone, whoever that person may be, and they say, really? Oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. You know, I, I kind of figured he, he, he didn't really like you. I could tell the way he was looking at you. Oh, gosh. And pretty soon you find yourself in a pit of despair. Or it could be in a marriage, and the wife calls one of her friends and says, you know, my husband and I are having some challenges. She says, really? You know, girl, without you, I wouldn't even put up with it, honestly. You know, I know you've been married for a while, but, you know. <laughs> that's called an offense broker. And I went through that. I never forget. I talk about this story in my book. I was, I was uh, going through a situation in the church, and someone had offended me. And I was in church, and and uh, I'm I'm leaving out, and the person didn't even speak to me. They were giving me the silent treatment, and I was so hurt, so rejected. And I remember telling my ride home, who happened to be my neighbor, I said, "Hey, so and so, you know, this person," and they said, "You know, I know, I know, I can be hard, Keenan, and I know that." You know, they just don't know your worth. They don't know what you're about. And, and yeah, yeah. And it was like we were camping around this fire of despair with s'mores and all. Wow. And marshmallows. Mm. And and by the time I was done, I felt so filthy. It was like yuck. I don't know if you ever know you've ever been there after you've done talking to someone. You just feel ugh. It's like this ectoplasma was on me. And I realized that this person had unknowingly aided and abetted and even furthered the transaction of offense in my heart. That, my friend, is an offense broker. Beware. You don't, and this is, and I tell husband and wife this all the time. Many people have left churches, not because the person sitting next to them in the pew, told them something, but their own spouses were complicit in their offense. I'm telling you, I, I, I dealt with a situation a couple of years ago where at my church and some friends of mine, they ended up leaving a church and they were just poisoning each other. They were just administering Satan's poison into the other person's heart. And I call these Dr. Kevorkians. You know, these are people that, 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 that aid you in your spiritual euthanasia. They're constantly telling you what you want to hear. It makes you feel better about yourself and justifies your anger and your bitterness. But that person will ultimately aid in your own destruction. And you have to be careful. You know, when you're going through hurt, the last thing you need is somebody that will agree with everything you say. That's dangerous. Yes. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I won't, I won't say, brother, you're, you're wrong, brother. You're wrong. Actually, I love you, but I think you're not seeing this the right way. You need a voice of reason in your life. And that's why I tell people real accountability is not putting yes men around you, but real accountability is, is putting people around you who will challenge your perspective, who will call you higher, and they will, they, will, they will call out the Christ in you, and they will point you to the Word of God and say, you know what, this is what the Word says. I thank God for my wife, you know. I have some pastor friends, and their their wives are Jezebel. I'm sorry to say, 
And every time they go through situation, their wife is telling them, hey, you know, just take the vineyard for yourself. You don't need to ask anybody. Just take it. Or Job's wife who says, curse God and die. You don't have to take all, you know, don't, don't serve God anymore. You're going through all of this. And you don't want that Job's wife syndrome. You want to have people around you to say, listen, I know you're hurting, and I'm not saying all of your hurt is invalid. But what I'm saying is, don't go down that path. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. God has something great. If you don't allow yourself to be contaminated by that, that is a friend. That is a voice of hope and healing. But those that agree with all the wrong and the grievances that you have, those are offense broken, and they're very dangerous. Very dangerous. The last thing I want to talk about, um, and, and folks, let me tell you, okay. uh, this is a really good book, um, Unmasking the Accuser. Uh, I, I want to talk about a revelation that you had on Noah, because there's a story in the Bible where he gets drunk and basically gets you know passes out naked, and God gave you a huge revelation on honor, and I want to let you talk about that for a minute before we close out this program. Okay, so honor. You know, one thing that I'll say is this. The lost art or the lost discipline of honor is something that the church is in desperate need of regaining. You know, in the Western world especially, one of the things that we have sort of been engrossed in is a culture of dishonor. For example, you can look at politics. We think that if we disagree with our president, and yes, he is our president, we can say whatever we want to say about him him or her or whoever it is. We haven't had any hers yet, but but that is dishonor. When you when you disregard someone's office in order to articulate your your disagreement with them. I can honor the office and still disagree with the person. And we see this example in the book of Genesis with, with Noah. And what happened with Noah is that Noah, for whatever reason, was drunk and he came home in a drunken state and was naked when his son Ham found him he left the father in the condition he was in and he went and got his brothers so Shem and Japheth came and they backed into the to, to the, the house or wherever Noah was to the room and they backed in and they covered their father with a blanket and um, when Noah came to the first thing he did was curse the descendants of Ham. He said, Cursed be thou Canaan. We know that Ham is the father of Canaan. Cursed be thou Canaan. You shall be a servant to your brothers. Now, there's a spiritual principle that is so profound. Why did, why did Noah curse Canaan? He didn't even curse Ham. He cursed Canaan. Why did he curse Canaan? He cursed Canaan because Ham violated a spiritual law. He uncovered the nakedness of his father. Now, there's something that we call in, in, in hermeneutics, we call implied biblical interpretation. It means that something is not necessarily explicit in the text, but it is implied as we use our intelligence and our imagination and we use interpretive skills and, 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 and uh, laws of interpretation to see what was actually meant. 
How did his brothers know that his father was naked? Ham went back and told them. Ham left the room and said, hey, dad's in the, dad spilled out all over the floor. He's naked. He looks like he's drunk. And the two brothers, they abided by the code of honor and they covered their father. And that was Ham's responsibility. The person who saw the nakedness was the one responsible for covering it. Now we see this also in the Garden of Eden. Look at what God did when Adam and Eve were, were, were basically exposed. They were exposed in their sin and the glory lifted off of them. And the first thing God did was he said, I'm not going, this, oh, this is, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost now. He said, I'm so in love with you. Even though you sinned against me, I'm not going to send you out of this garden without any dignity. So the Bible says God killed an animal and made a blood sacrifice. That's, to kill an animal is a blood sacrifice. He killed the animal and he put the skin of the animal on Adam and Eve so that when they were displaced from the garden, they didn't leave naked. And so the Lord began to show me when it comes to honor. He said, he said that the law of honor states that it is the responsibility of sons to cover their fathers. You know, we often believe that it's father's responsibility to cover their sons, and it is. But it is also the responsibility of sons to cover their fathers. You know, even as a, a young man myself, and I look at my relationship with my father, had a situation where, uh, you know, one of my siblings was talking to my father, and I just didn't feel like it was in an honoring manner. And I, I went and I began to talk to my father, began to minister to him. And what I was doing, I was covering him because he was in a vulnerable state and I did not want to unveil his nakedness. It is the responsibility of sons to honor their fathers. In other words, we're supposed to cover our fathers with honor. And let me tell people something that you need to know. If you are in this life and on this side of heaven, God will always use fragile and flawed people to minister to you. You will never have a father or mother spiritually who is perfect and without flaws. And how you and I handle the flaws of the people leading us will determine how much leadership you can be entrusted with. Are you the type of person who when, when, when you see something wrong in leadership, you run and tell, debate about it, or do you fall on your knees and pray? Do you say, God, Help my, my, my pastor. Help my, my leader. Cover them, Lord. Strengthen them. Now, there are times when you have to leave. But do you leave with honor? Do you leave with dignity? Do you leave in such a way where you say, you know what? I couldn't stay in the church, but I bless that pastor. I, I hope he gets the help that he needs. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there has to be a different framework in the way we deal in things. And God said to me, that one of the reasons why the church has operated the way we have is because we've dishonored spiritual fathers and mothers. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, before he talks about warfare, he says, honor thy father and mother. And here we are trying to master warfare, but we haven't mastered honor. And this is why Satan keeps coming back in the church. Because after you cast it out and rebuked and thrown holy oil, holy water, and holy juice all over him. He'll still come back in until we close the doors of dishonor that led him in in the first place. 
And this is where we have a generation of Canaan's people who have who have been bound to spiritual. Are you hearing what I'm saying? People who have been bound to spiritual servitude because they refuse to honor their father. I can never trust you with authority until you learn how to honor those in authority. That that's so true. And, you know, just to piggyback on that, um, please, I know uh, in, in my life that I have been through degrees of spiritual abuse uh, personally, um, just at different stages in oh, my yeah. growth and coming up under different leadership. I know what it's like to be uh, attacked, um, fr- suppressed, shut down um, from the top. And um, sometimes it's just like, why is this happening to me? You know, sometimes it's because I have an issue. Uh, Sometimes it's because there's jealousy, there's intimidation, there's whatever have you. And, um, you know, I've been in different situations. And uh, what I do know is that every time God has led me to another place, he's always, always challenged me. It's like, you need to do this right, which is usually the most difficult way to do anything <laughs> the right way um, you need to leave under the right circumstances you need to be you know uh, zip your lips um, and I know that there was a huge 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 release in my life uh, after I, I left a certain situation and it, it came because I had walked in honor and I kept my lips zipped. I didn't broadcast what I was, the pain I was going through. And it it was like, you know, I just walked into church three days later and a pastor just prophesied all of this expansion on the ministry that God had had given me. And, um, you know, I'm walking into fruits of that today, but there is something so key about honor, about um this entire conversation that we're having, and I know that I wouldn't walk in the authority that I have if God couldn't trust me with it. There's a lot of believers that say, ah, I want authority that that you have, Daniel. I want to come against principalities. I want to do this and say, okay, read Kenan's book. (laughs) Anyway, uh, folks, www.kenanbridges.com. Um, the book is called Unmasking the Accuser. Keenan, it's been such a joy to have you on the program, as always. Is there any last words you have, or are we uh, concluding? Well, let me just say this, and I'll just pray really quickly. I want to let you know that if you're listening to this broadcast, it's not an accident. And that if you have been, if you have been hurt or wounded or offended, the victim of gossip or slander, or even if you've perpetrated that toward others, I want you to know that there is healing in Christ and that you can heal the wounds of the past. You can be restored. If you've fallen, if you've been broken, if you've been wounded, if you've come under abuse or come out of abuse, know that there is healing for you. And so I just want to encourage our audience to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart as you read this book, and you need this book, as you read it, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you and bless you for all that you're doing. I want to thank you, Lord, for ministering to your people. And as people here, 
we ask that the spirit of offense would be broken off of their lives and that they will experience your supernatural healing anointing just as you did in my life. God, I speak it over their lives, that they will be unoffendable in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Folks, you've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.